He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. It's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We will start this time with James. Glad to be here. Excited to talk a little Cameron Diaz with you guys. School just started up again this semester for me. So right now, syllabus week. So I can devote all my time to this podcast. And then next week, I'll disappear again. <laughs> at the end of the holidays I had some extra time on my hands so I started doing a rewatch of what I consider one of the most underrated shows in history and it's criminal AMC's Hell on Wheels and I am rewatching it and I have decided that after the rewatch I'm 100% correct if anything I think it's better the reason I bring that up is that Cameron Diaz is in a movie that I feel like is also very underrated. And anytime I've watched it with somebody, they have also said, oh, I didn't realize that movie was as much fun to watch. A little tease for later in the episode. I am interested in what you guys are going to say, though. <laughs> Rigby. This is the time of year movies are nominated, or the, they release the Oscar nominations. So uh, I'm going to be cramming in all 10 before they, the award show in March. Sadly to say, two years later, I still haven't seen Parasite after all the shit you guys gave me. <laughs> it's on Hulu. I know it's on Hulu. Do it tonight. I know. And James watched Kingpin, so I feel like I'm... I know. Wrong side of history, man. <laughs> I, owe, I owe it to you guys. In a run of like maybe Best Picture winners that shouldn't have been, Parasite, I think, fully earned it. You need to get your shit together. Yeah. Okay. Come on. The movie's great. Literally, tonight when we're done, that's that's your homework, Rigby. Don't... No eating, no shitting, nothing else. No sleeping. That's what you're doing. I'll promise you this. The next time we record, I'll have watched Parasite. There you go. Whoa. Hold him to it. You heard it. You heard it here first. <laughs> My end, it's a big week. Just like Oscars, it is Sundance week. Ooh. So by the time this will have come out, I will have participated in the Sundance Film Festival experience. That's your Super Bowl. It is my Super Bowl. I, yeah. I was planning to be in Park City, in Salt Lake City, for the event this week. But because of COVID and the, the Omarion variant, they've decided not to do that. And I think I've got tickets to like 13 or 14 movies from between like Thursday and then the Wednesday right before we drop the episode. So I'll be watching a bunch from home. James may pop over from mm -hmm. whenever his schedule allows him. I'm excited for that. But I'm also excited to bring back our one of our favorite guests of the podcast. That's Aubrey McKay. Ooh. He lives in the home of the Detroit Tigers, Lakeland, Florida, where he teaches high school history. He's a collector and lover of movies and also writes about movies at moviebabble.com. Great website. Check it out. Yes, it is. He was previously with us for the Chris Rock and Aubrey Plaza episodes. Welcome back, Aubrey. How are you? And and tell our audience about any changes in the, the blogging movie review world that you guys have going on. Currently, I'm jealous because I have a singular ticket to Sundance. And I'm not even 100% sure I can see that one movie. <laughs> There's been some big changes in the blogging world for us. We ended, my wife and I ended our website, the post-credit scene, mm. about halfway through last year. We stopped and took a break because we have an opportunity to work together with another friend of ours who makes movies to do some stuff 
coming in the next year or so. Cool. So we'll still be writing and doing some stuff in that space. But we needed to take a break to kind of reevaluate some things and then get things set up with him. So in a few months, we'll get that website with him launched and we'll be doing some different things in that space. So there's some changes there, a lot of transition, but it's been good. Everything's been good. That sounds intriguing and awesome at the same time. Well, we're glad to have you, man. Excited to talk about some Cameron Diaz. Diaz, is it? Diaz? I said this to Kyle earlier. Nobody delivers a line better than Martin Lawrence, man. (laughs) It's hard to argue with that that one. He's awesome. Let's get into birthdays. January 27th. Birthdays for January 27th. First up, we have James Cromwell. Uh, you might know him as from his performances in Babe, Green Mile, Longest Yard, and, and my favorite role of his, L.A. Confidential. He's also currently in Succession, if you watch that on HBO. He's great in Succession. Mm-hmm. I will preface that he's looked old for a long time. Yeah, it's going to be tough. He looked old in Babe, and that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. His response? I had to look his picture up, because yeah. I was like, I couldn't place his name. I looked him up, and I was like, oh, it's the old guy I've seen in like 50 million things. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with Cromwell... We said he's old. I'm going to go with like 73. It feels right. 78. I'm saying 80. Give me uh, 83. All right. Aubrey gets the win. He's actually 80, turning 82. Oh, man. Almost had it. So Craig was closer, but price of right rules means that Aubrey takes the W on that one. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Respect for James Cromwell. He's put in a great career and he's still still grinding today. So good for him. Next up, Bridget Fonda, daughter of Peter Fonda and grand- granddaughter of Henry Fonda. In such films as Jackie Brown, A Simple Plan, and Single White Female. How old is Bridget Fonda? The Road to Wellville, which we mentioned last episode. I think she's her mother, I believe. I am confusing the Fondas. <laughs> Jane, yeah. Jane is her aunt. Aunt, yeah. yeah. No clue. I'm super confused right now. 54. I'll start us off. 54. Throw just 60 out. I don't know. I'll do 55. Maybe she's a little younger than him. 56. Get him, Aubrey. That's right. I think Aubrey won again. She's turning 58. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Cleaning up today. Yeah. Cleaning up. Let's see if he can go. Let's see if he can go uh, 3-0. Next up, and or I should say last but not least, is Patton Oswalt, a famous comedian and star of notable sitcoms and television series. Also a prolific Twitter account for those that have Twitter. He was also <laughs> Remy and Ratatouille. I love that. Yep. And he is the narrator of the... Goldberg show on ABC currently. 52. Ooh. 52? 57. I'm going to go lower. I'm thinking 45. 50. 50. Aubrey is 3 and 0. Come on. Oh. Cheating. Patton's turning turning 53. <laughs> so he's currently 52, which is what Aubrey guessed, but yeah, he he wins again. This guy. I thought I would be terrible at this game. <laughs> well, you nailed all three. This is my way out of teaching. Just guess birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> Real lucrative career yeah. in guessing birthdays. <laughs> Thriving industry. <laughs> Aubrey, the, the plus side is you can make some money. The downside is you're going to have to be a carny and travel <laughs> yeah, the country. <laughs> I bet I can guess your age and wait immediately. <laughs> Great job. Clean sweep. All right, five actors onto the wheel for this episode, episode 54. And those five are Vigo Mortensen, Roger Bart. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Emil Hirsch, but none of them were selected by the wheel. The wheel chose Cameron Diaz, who has 57 credits on her resume, and almost all of them are film related, and about 20 to 25% are all Shrek related, which we'll get into 
So you could take that 57 and pull out a, a chunk of 11 to 12 of them. And all sh- Shrek related. Yeah. <laughs> the wheel hates Abraham Lincoln and I don't like it. Wait, why? Why does it? What? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's a vampire hunter and it didn't even want us to oh talk about God, it. I, I forget that you bring that movie up randomly every few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why you wanted to marry Elizabeth Winstead. So we that's could right. Talk mm-hmm. about Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. Let's get into some uh, Diaz. And before we do that, let's see if James can stump us in the trivia realm. Yes. So Aubrey, you're a returning guest. You know the rules. So for new newer listeners, what I'm about to do is read off three facts here. Two of them are true in regards to Cameron Diaz, and one of them is in fact uh, not true and will be true about a member of the Fast and the Furious franchise cast. So that is a huge cast. You do not have to guess which cast member. You just have to guess which one is not true about Cameron Diaz. Fact number one. She was discovered by a photographer at a Hollywood party who helped her land a contract modeling at the age of 16. Fact number two, she attended high school at the same time as Snoop Dogg, someone who she's maintained a friendship with to this day. Fact number three, she is the sixth actress in history who'd been paid over $20 million to to play a role. These all might be true. I think that number two is true because she's from Long Beach. I know that. Number three, I know she's one of the highest paid of all time, so I think that's th- true as well. So I'm going to go one is the lie, and I think that's Gal Gadot. <laughs> I'm going to go one, too, and I'm going to say Jordana Brewster. Good guesses, both of you. Interesting you said that, Aubrey, because I was actually going to say number two was false, because that was Jordana Brewster, the co-star of Invisible Circus. I did not watch Also great friends with Snoop Dogg. Everyone knows that. Yes. <laughs> Guys. Oh, no. Uh, these all might be true, but you know who went to high school with Snoop Dogg? Secunda Wood from the Fast and Furious <laughs> animated series. You have to leave that woman alone. <laughs> I'm here to be her brand ambassador, and Secunda Wood, she's a legend. She went to high school with Snoop. Well, I do want to tell you something. When you started referencing her name, her IMDb rating was only 81,000. She peaked a couple weeks ago at 46,000. Thank you, Kyle. So maybe, maybe it's working, Kyle. Have your people contact my people. All right. Sounds like a theory you guys should workshop. Actually, no, it'll work one, two, three here. So was discovered by a photographer at the age of 16 at a party. That is true. And Cameron Diaz actually left home and high school at 16. And for the next five years, lived in Japan, Australia, Mexico, Morocco, and Paris until she returned to California at the age of 21 and was still working as a model before she landed her first role, which we'll discuss, which was the mask. So modeling immediately fell to the wayside when uh, you're that successful for your first role. Fact number two, went to high school with Snoop Dogg at the same time, maintained a friendship. Also true, they went to Long Beach Polytech uh, High School. The two didn't have similar friend groups, as you can imagine, based on Snoop Dogg's rap. They became friends shortly after high school, since they both ascended to stardom, literally like two or three years apiece after they were supposed to be out of high school. Snoop Dogg had a funny quote. He said, like, yeah, she was cool. I used to sell weed to her and her friends, but we didn't run in the same crowds. She was on the dance team and I was on, I was in the Crips, which I thought was a great line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, she was, she was cool, but like, we were not friends. So I won't pretend that we, were. I love that honesty. I love that yeah, honesty. It's, like, it's it, it, we're fine now. And she's the sixth actress in history. has been paid over $20 million for a role. Uh, Gal Gadot is actually the sixth uh, actress in history. She's for, most famously known as 
Giselle Yashar from Fast and Furious and Fast and Furious 6. Uh, she earned a $20 million paycheck for Red Notice on Netflix. Cameron Diaz was the second actress ever to get paid $20 million just after Julia Roberts. Wow. So she wasn't number six, but she is on that list. And so there's only six actresses of all time who've been paid that amount for a singular role. Wow. That's a great. Well, I don't know if there's been, it's been a long time since you stumped all of us. And the, you know what? I thought the $20 million one, I thought that would be picked on. That one's very misleading. So I have to try to stump you guys. You know, I don't have a choice at this point. That was really good. All right. Snapshot and box office history. I'm really fascinated to learn about this one case because I know the ratings from Rotten Tomatoes didn't seem great, but I know she's made a lot of money and usually make a lot of money because you bring people to the theater. So I'm interested to hear more. The fact that James has talked about, you know, with her being the second actress ever to make have a $20 million payday. I mean, in Hollywood, it's it's nothing's guessing. And they're educated bets at worst, more likely sure things. And I would describe Cameron Diaz as the most predictably successful performer we've looked at. She's got 34 films on my spreadsheet. Only two of them have lost money. Wow. One lost 20 million, which which was a bomb. And that was the very bad things. And then the other one, what surprised me, was a life less ordinary. That lost seven million. But what was surprising about that is that that's a twelve million dollar budget. And we'll talk about that movie a little bit later. But in the late nineties, a life less ordinary should not have been budgeted for twelve million. So I don't know that the box office loss falls on her as much as it does maybe the studio in that one. Where I think she kicks ass in the money side of things is that her average film budget is 10th, which if you think about it, she's somebody that could easily have been pegged to be a rom-com girl next door role. And those characters are not in major box office movies. She gets hammered in rankings by both fans and critics. But overall, she ranks 23rd in Star Meter, which was about right. Her average critic ranking is 49.6%, which puts her 46th, 55% in fan rankings, which puts her 45th. And then, uh, like I talked about with the box office stuff, she ranks 7th and 13th. All of those numbers average out. She falls 32nd on our rankings. And it's really because of the fan and, and critic rankings she got hammered on. She's real low in those. Yeah, there's a lot of certified rotten on her, her Rotten Tomatoes profile. But the thing that I think is so interesting is, I don't know if we've done anybody where I've known more movies than her. A lot of times, you and Kyle, you kind of have to do the same thing, deciding some role significance. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remember how much she was in a movie. And every movie I typed, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember. That. I mean, it was, it was almost every movie I didn't have any doubt on. So she's been in some massive projects. Definitely a leading lady in most of the movies she's been in to this point. Yeah. For sure. I saw an article... Um, Forbes did in 2007. It said for every dollar that she got paid, she averaged her movies averaged nine dollars of gross income. Oh wow! I don't know if her agent is the one who wrote that article, but that is a pretty <laughs> ringing endorsement of box office uh, success. Why I'm rich? Wow, that is huge. That's a big manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why I'm rich? A memoir from Cameron Diaz's agent. Yeah. <laughs> and that was before. She was doing the sequels to Shrek that were just bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars for the fun of it. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting snapshot. Thanks, Case. Yeah, man. All right. So first major roles in 94, some early life notes for Cameron to better understand where she comes from and some of her earlier context. As James had mentioned, Long Beach gal has got Cuban roots in her family, which is interesting. 
And as James had mentioned, she got that modeling contract f- with Elite Model Management while in high school, was doing ads for Calvin Klein's and Levi's and traveling all over the world, Australia and different places. Her first, it's not her first film role, but a really interesting thing that happened to her in 93 that has become a thing she's had to deal with, unfortunately, since then is. In 93, she participated in a project called She's No Angel. It was an S&M leather fashion shoot where she's not nude, but she is dressed in S&M outfits and there's a lot of chains and let's just say if you want to find this clip, it's not readily available online. You're going to have to dig for it to find it because it's been buried by the powers that be over the years. This is something that she did in her early career, right before she got big. And as we'll talk about in 2003, she actually got blackmailed with with it by a guy and then had to deal with it you know, a decade later after after doing that shoot. I find it so fascinating because like where we've come as like a pop culture, like now like people perform concert tours in outfits like that. And like no one mm-hmm. bats an eye. They're like, oh yeah, that's just kind of, you know, bad bitch wearing sexy stuff. Like it is what it is. And back then that was like potential career killer. Her first major role was really her first movie role, which normally we don't see. We normally, we see a few like smaller cameos, right? And then maybe they get a couple film roles where it's you know, supporting. She comes straight out of the gate with 1994's The Mask, which we're calling first major role. And Aubrey as our guest Munson drew first major role this time around. And he's going to talk a little bit about the movie and her performance and any other random thoughts he has. I've got to be a little honest going into this one. Uh, this was probably my least exciting rewatch. <laughs> I put this one off as far as I could. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in over 20 years. I'm 34 now. I haven't seen this movie in over 20 years. And one, I was laughing with my friend I was watching with because I remember so much about this movie. Like we were calling out scenes that were going to happen and, and lines. Mm-hmm. So that part I found interesting. But so when I was thinking about it, I try, I try very hard to apply a level of, of critical thought to everything that I watch. I feel like you have to review this movie in two different ways. I don't think a plot description is really all that necessary for The Mask. Like if you, have, if you don't know what The Mask is about by now, you'll never know because there's no reason for you to watch it. But like as a younger person, I see exactly why this movie was appealing to me at the time and why like my generation of of young people like that movie. It's it is funny for a kid. Jim Carrey's bits are funny and Cameron Diaz is is a wildly effective person to cast in that role for a, a young teenage boy. And so that part worked. Watching it as an adult, this movie is completely ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> I just like you mean a dog putting on a mask is not it's not feasible. <laughs> Wouldn't be a thing. Completely ridiculous. But like, I'm not a big physical comedy guy, so like, I knew going into it that I was going to struggle with that part. But the movie just isn't very clever. It doesn't even really get its base like commentary right. Like, there is a thing, there is a metaphor in this movie that is available to them. And they kind of choose to ignore it, so they don't even really do that. This movie is kind of just silly nonsense for a hundred minutes. And as an adult, I didn't really find it all that appealing. <laughs> but like Cameron Diaz part, I don't really have there's not really a ton to say about her because like she's really just literally there to be eye candy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is effective 
but it's also like that part of it doesn't really age all that well either because I going through this I I think she is a very talented actor now like this is I'll talk about a little bit later but I didn't have that opinion going into this but I have that opinion now so seeing her in this movie just dance and have all of these men just like really kind of grossly go after her was kind of sad because it was like we wasted an opportunity to use someone really talented in an interesting way. And what you mentioned about you finding respect for her as you go through her filmography, I am the exact same way as, as I was going through this. I had like this preconceived notion about how I felt about her. And I think it was originally based off of the fact that I saw the mask when I was like an eight year old. And I was like, Oh, Cameron Diaz, she's really, really hot. And that is all my brain retained. And then as I was going through her movies, and as we'll discuss, way, way different. I think I totally agree with you. I think she is a very talented comedic actress. And this is a comedy. And you're right. She is fully just eye candy for this movie. But unlike you, I did enjoy The Mask. But it was the mindset of, yeah, it's stupid. The plot doesn't really make any sense. But it's kind of adult humor for like eight and nine-year-olds, so they feel like, oh, he said a bad word. This is a little deeper than I'm used to, and I think that is probably the reason I loved it so much when I was younger. She's like a Michael Bay character in this, basically. Just like... Yes. And the bad guy is 100% a a Michael Bay bad guy. She is a Michael Bay Slicked back hair, smoking cigarettes the whole time. Yep. Kyle, one of the reasons I love our format is because we get to do this. We get to watch their first film, and then it gives us an opportunity then to see it throughout their career. And uh, I will say that uh, we'll, we'll talk about a movie later. I found an article with a director, and he said that she was the top of their list for the female lead in a movie that later in her career simply because of the mask. Kind of like Aubrey was saying, what they saw. You know, she's not distractingly bad as an actress in it. I think she's... You wouldn't be able to tell it's her first role. No. Um, it's cool that, that this is her first role, but it's, uh, it's not on the level of, like, Edward Norton in Primal Fear for her, his first role, where you're like, holy shit, this guy stole the show. But she's not bad. I mean, to be fair, she stole the show, but it wasn't for her acting. Yeah, it wasn't for her acting. And, it, and as we'll talk about, this kind of, again, this became her pocket for the early part of her career and led to kind of all the roles that are about to come. If you told any young actress or actor that your first role, you're just going to be like, eye candy for the male or female viewer and it's going to make 200 million dollars you'd be like yeah sign me up 10 times out of 10 i'll figure out the next steps of my career but i absolutely want to be in that yeah exactly i'll take that payday or the paydays it'll lead to i have a really interesting quote and it relates to what you guys are saying from her in an interview she said the whole time i just laughed my way through i laughed so much we models are used to doing what we're told. So I just went with it, had a lot of fun with Jim Carrey and Chuck Russell. I remember one time I asked them if there was a way my parents could watch it, the movie. And they were like, yeah, at the movie theater. Yeah. <laughs> I had no conception of what doing a $20 million movie meant. I think it's a great quote to illuminate. She's just like, I'm just having a good time. Yeah. I'm got, I got a, a, a big role in a big movie. So let's go. Right, that's exactly what every young actor or actress wants. Well, let's let's kind of keep the the momentum going. So, coming out of the mask, she's in '95's The Last Supper, played a character named Jude, a movie uh, about a group of liberals who invite conservatives over to dinner to murder them. I haven't seen it, but that's the synopsis that I read about it. So now I'm interested, and I kind of want to watch it. Sounds interesting. After the mask, she intentionally was picking out porting roles in smaller budgeted films to help extend her range. So she would basically be practicing 
trying to build up a better acting range, but not being in like massive films that everybody was going to see. I mean, that's smart. Mm -hmm. Most actors aren't doing that. Most are just taking what they can get early on. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that like she had no acting experience and was like readily admitting that. And was like, I need to practice. These next movies that you're talking about after the, after the mask are intentional. Well, she does an episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast in 96 and then is in Feeling Minnesota as a character named Freddie, also in 96. That was with Keanu Reeves, right? Yes. Never saw it. I don't know much about it. But an early one, I found this fascinating as I was like hunting around for Cameron Diaz facts. Same. same. Apparently she was supposed to be in Mortal Kombat. I'm guessing she was going to be Sonya Blade. She broke her hand while training. How much more money would that movie have made? For real. Cameron Diaz Ooh. in the 90s as Sonya Blade. Instead of Veronica Vaughn from Billy Madison as Sonya Blade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in on this like alternate universe. Full thought. I like it. Uh, that would have been really interesting to see her in a fighting role because I've seen her fighting in Charlie's Angels. It is not that impressive. So her as Sonya, I don't know if I could have bought that. Too tall and lanky. To be fair. I don't think the action being bad in Charlie's Angels is her fault. No, no, it's part of the charm of the movie. But anyways, My Best Friend's Wedding, 1997. She played Kimberly alongside Julia Roberts, I believe, right? This movie was a hit and she she was great in it as kind of the the wedding obsessed, heartbroken fiance, I guess you could call her. But yeah, I thought she was good in this. I just rewatched this with my wife. You remember why it's so famous and successful. But what I didn't remember is how nice of a person Cameron Diaz's character is and how shitty of a person Julia Roberts' character is. This is the takeaway from this movie. Yes, like you watch this it, you're like, ridiculous. wow. The, 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 the morals in this movie are way off. Yeah. Julia Roberts is horrible in this movie. It is. They have the audience rooting for the bad guy because it's shown from her perspective. And then like in rewatching, I was like, wow, Cameron Diaz is being nothing but like the nicest person on earth. I think it's safe to say that this is like, when you think of like a romantic comedy, like this is one of the top five that come to mind for me. Mm. Like whether it's, and that's more, probably more says more about Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz. It fits in with that. Like it's, I like romantic comedies. I, I love that genre. And if, as soon as it started, I kind of just felt that like comfort, that you relax, settle in. This is going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy this. And it plays true. Really good in this. I was surprised at how good she was. Also 97, she's in A Life Less Ordinary, the movie Case talked about that lost a bunch of money. Also with Holly Hunter and Stanley Tucci. So, And she crossed over with both of those a few times in her career. Despite she has a short filmography, it tend to be actor she works with quite a bit. In an interview, Danny Boyle, the director of this, said he was given a list of young female actresses that ended up being massive stars and he still wanted Cameron Diaz and they waited for her to finish filming my best friend's wedding in order to do this. And he said it was simply because of what they saw when they watched the mask. She makes a brief appearance, I believe in 98's fear and loathing in Las Vegas as a news reporter. Hunter S. Thompson story, right? Yep. Let me guess. Johnny Depp acted weird. That is the crux of it. Yes. Uh, But no matter if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, most of us are going to enjoy There's Something About Mary. And she played Mary in that one. 98, um, a role that got her her first award recognition. She got a Golden Globe nom for Best Actress. I was born in 1989. You guys might disagree with this, but I can safely say that this is the funniest movie that's been released in my lifetime. Wow. I saw it in theaters when I wasn't supposed to. I think I was probably... 10 um didn't get 90 percent of the jokes 
but the ones I did get, I've no, I don't, I don't think I've laughed so hard in my life, and it's still equally as watchable today as it was in '99 when it came out. <laughs> Fairly Brothers movie, I think this is the movie they did after Kingpin, so their run of Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, and Some of Mary is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a lot of the same characters: Chris Elliott, Lynn Shay, like a lot of yep. the usual suspects. And Cameron Diaz is everything you want her to be in this. She's funny. She's gorgeous. Just knocks it out of the park. Every character in this is awesome. It's a it's a world class comedy, and I'm I'm glad it I'm glad it stood the test of time. And remember, Keith David is in this as well. When we talked about this on the Keith David episode, hilarious. He's Buck Frank. Yeah, probably one of the best lines in the movie. Take a look at what this numb nuts did. <laughs> even though, like, it's funny. Even though she like breaks all these guys' hearts, like you obviously cheer for her more than anybody in the movie just yeah. because you want her to like yeah you want her to end up with a guy that makes her happy at the end of the day testament to her acting i love matt dylan's character as such a slime ball i think he played that role hilariously and i read that after or at least during filming and post she started dating matt dylan because of this movie interesting so he so his character won in the end is what you're yes saying. he did yeah but riding that high 99's being john malkovich's highest critic score a role that earned her Golden Globe, BAFTA, and SAG noms. Um, a role that's a little bit different from the other stuff we've seen from her. And Rigby has it. So this is a movie that I hadn't seen all the way through. And I'm glad I was able to, to do that for the podcast, as we'll get to. So Being John Malkovich is a 1999 dark comedy film directed by Spike Jones and written by Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman has also done other critically acclaimed movies like Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think we've covered all of those on the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. The movie features John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, and surprise, surprise, Mr. John Malkovich. Mm. The plot of the movie is John Cusack plays a puppeteer named Craig. He's down on his luck and, and ends up getting a job at a quirky office. And while there, he discovers a portal that allows those who enter it to view life through the eyes and the mind of actor John Malkovich. Once Craig enters the portal, he shares his unique experience with his wife, Lottie, played by Cameron Diaz, who then becomes obsessed with the portal, and he, she herself will do anything and everything that she can to enter the mind of John Malkovich. With the help of Craig's co-worker, Maxine, played by Katherine Keener, the two discover that they can profit off of it, and they begin charging people to enter the mind of Malkovich, all while Malkovich doesn't know this is going on inside his own head. Eventually, he discovers the actor discovers the portal and begins a... So Malkovich is introduced in the movie, not through the eyes, but also as just a, a regular character, and he begins a love affair with Maxine, who then begins to fall in love with Lottie, but only while she is inside the portal of Malkovich's mind. If this movie sounds confusing and bizarre, uh, that's because it is. But in a way, it's super original because there's a lot of philosophical themes to it that go with it. I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed this on, on a, I guess you could say it a rewatch, but more just watching it from beginning to end. I know that I think the previous times that I watched it, it kind of loses me when the Malkovich character shows up. I, I like the idea of like these people inside his head and like, what, what are they, what are they discovering? And then I always kind of got lost in it. But if you watch it, there's some, some philosophical stuff that, that comes with it that I hadn't really discovered. Cameron Diaz is, is great in this movie. And I think her awards nominations were, were deserved. Cool. She's a, she's not really a housewife cause she has a job, but she's like a, just a, 
homely pet obsessed woman who then becomes obsessed with Malkovich's portal. And like I said, she will do anything within her power to, to recreate that experience of being in John Malkovich's mind for that 15 minute time slot. That's really my review. And I think that, like I said, I think her, her performance was good. All the actors are good in this. It's very, very weird, but if you can stomach the weirdness and come out sort of with the, the message of the movie, I think you'll find it enjoyable. Yeah, I was struck by how unique Cameron looks comparatively to what you normally see her in her roles. Oh, yeah. The blonde hair, like very beautiful. Like yeah. the, the eye candy part is usually, and you get none of that. And I, I even read that when they transformed her into her, like her setup, like people thought she was just like a rando walking around on set. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't know it was Cameron Diaz. If you haven't seen this, she's got like, frizzy hair frizzy yeah. brown hair she wears like overalls like sw- ugly sweaters like she just it does not play the she's couldn't be further away from the girl that everyone lusts over and there's something about mary almost a year later so i, I just think this movie's brilliant i was not expecting a movie like this from this situation mm-hmm. so to have one like that kind of blew me away i love spike jones i think her is one of the best movies i might have ever seen i think it's just astonishingly brilliant the way he kind of can attach themes to something so wildly innovative and like outside of the norm Mm -hmm. is captivating to me so i was in on this almost immediately when as soon as octavia spencer opened up the (laughs) elevator with the seven and a half (laughs) mark still on it so it made yep. it clear this was not the first time. Yeah. And you could see the woman walking on floor eight. I was like, okay, I'm here for this. Wherever we go from here, I'm here for this. What I love is it's not just bizarre for bizarre's sake. Yes. Because there's plenty of weird movies that I've had people try to tell me like, no, there's something really thoughtful here. And I'm like, no, there's not. This is just weird to be weird, which, you know, to each their own. Mm-hmm. This is weird with a purpose. He attaches so many deep themes. This, this movie is about identity it's about gender. It's about sexuality. It's about like the angst and aimlessness of, of being in your thirties and kind of feeling like you're lost everyday life. Yeah. It's, you know, what's real, what's consciousness, what makes me, me, like all of these things are packed into this just world that makes no sense when you say it out loud. I I'm completely taken with this movie. I watched it this morning and I have not stopped thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good one. Go, Go check it out. It's not It's not streaming. I don't know how you guys watch it. It's not streaming anywhere. I rented it on iTunes, but uh, yeah, go check it out. I paid $4 on Prime to rent it, but I, it was worth it. I think I, it was well it worth it. It was. When I read the like plot synopsis on like Amazon Prime, and they described the three main characters that like start the movie, so um, Cusack, Keener, and uh, Cameron Diaz, I thought that Diaz and Keener would have their roles switched because they, they described who they were, but like not where the story was going, of course. And then when it starts and I see how Diaz is dressed, I was like, whoa, I did not see that coming. And I was very impressed by both of them in their roles. I thought Keener crushed it as well. Cameron Diaz is really good. She does a lot with that character because mm-hmm. she has she's given a lot to do, which I mean, it's uh, it's probably the most she's had up to do to this point and probably ever she's had to kind of play with. Yep. And so she's dealing with, she's kind of breaking a stigma of being just a wife in a movie like this. 
And then she's dealing with all of these other really deep, like philosophical ideas and themes that are packed in the side, packed inside these characters. She is really good in this. Mm-hmm. So 99 is when she started dating Jared Leto, dated him for four years. So uh, she's got like <laughs> the number of people she went through that landed on the good Charlotte singer is really interesting to me when you start to look at things. But well, she did that Spike Jones movie. She's in a weird space. <laughs> you find love and a hope. Wherever in weird places. <laughs> yeah, she dodged a bullet with Jared Leto. That dude's weird that's, as hell. Yeah, that's true. But 99, she's in Any Given Sunday as Christina. How do you guys feel about her performance in this? I really like I liked it too. But I liked the whole movie. I thought she was really good at the irrational owner. Yeah. She's like the antagonist in this movie. Yeah. She contrasts really well with Pacino, who's like the cranky old coach. She's like the owner in Major League who wants to yeah. wants to move the team for selfish reasons, not for, you know, for a better fan base. But it's an odd role to see a young woman play like a slimy, cutthroat executive yeah. sports team owner. And she does it well where like you could tell like she's in this for herself and you know, complete type A personality. And I, I've just never seen anything like it before. And so I think maybe that's why I was so impressed about it. Cause it's a, it's a kind of a character I haven't seen before. Hear from Aubrey since he proposed the question. Yeah. I love it. I'm j- I was, okay. I've talked to a couple of my friends about this one. I love the performance and some of them didn't mm. so much. And one of my friends was like, yeah, she's just there because she's pretty. And so I watched this movie. I've seen this movie several times. I don't like the movie as much anymore. I think the movie is a bit of a mess. I, think kind of Oliver Stone just gets lost in itself. Just he's got too many things he wants to say. There's an eyeball on the field. It's a lot. <laughs> I think she goes a long way to making this movie work though. Yeah. I agree. Because everyone in this movie is over the top. And she is able to get to a place where she can match them but not go too far. Yep. Because her character has to be grounded because that character has to be real because you don't see that character very often. Yeah. She's way ahead of her time with that role. Especially not in 99. She carries it well. Like she feels like the person who is the most important in this movie. I'm the I'm the one in charge. She feels that way. Yes. Anytime she's on screen, I think she's tremendous. And she's going across like she's acting head on without Pacino. Yeah, Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. James Woods. Like, she's going after it with, like, really great actors. Like, this, to me, is a great role for her. Aubrey, to your point, one thing that impressed me about her role in this movie, when she's on, the mood changes. Mm -hmm. When she's the center of a scene, the mood changes. And then it goes back to this wild and over-the-top, like you talked about, kind of character of football and sport culture. And then when it comes back to her, the mood just changes to this very serious, very real subplot. She feels the most real in the whole thing. The Willennium hits 2000. I just really wanted to get to the Willennium. I know. (laughs) Case new. Cameron was in a movie called Things You Can Tell by Looking at Her, alongside Holly Hunter as a character named Carol. Has anybody else seen this movie? No. Nope. She plays a blind character in this movie, which is very different. It's very interesting. Completely different character from anything I've seen. How did she do? Fine. It wasn't a bastardization of a blind character Okay, from what I saw. But same year is largest critic app, and that is Charlie's Angels, a movie that we talked about briefly on the Sam Rockwell episode, because Sam Rockwell plays the baddie in that one. Uh, but it is my review, and I'm not going to get into plot too much of Charlie's Angels, because if you're listening and you don't understand the concept of Charlie's Angels, we need to have a different conversation, (laughs) because pop culture-wise, everybody knows about Charlie's Angels, right? Charlie's Angels, Bosley, 
I'd rather talk about some of the more interesting things around the production of the film that I didn't know going into this. Yeah, I'm interested in this. So the split is not huge. Critic app, 69 on the critic side and 45 on the audience side. So it's only 24. There weren't a lot of critic app options because Cameron Diaz isn't in a lot of movies that are critically adored. She's in a lot of movies that are more so critically panned. 52 Metascore. So what I learned about researching this movie is that it's it was driven largely by Drew Barrymore. She purchased the rights to Charlie's Angels, and then she made like $120 million combined with the two Charlie's Angels films, this one and then Full Throttle, which came out a couple years later. I don't know how much she spent, but she did. It was a wise investment on her part to buy the film, right? Sounds like she did pretty good on that investment. Yeah. What I thought was hilarious is I compared this movie to MacGruber in a lot of ways because the angels <laughs> kick ass without guns like MacGruber does. So I thought that was hilarious. Um, and I forgot how, how this movie was parodied in Scary Movie 2. Because to our conversation earlier, Aubrey, with part of the charm and the corniness of Charlie's Angels are these high wire, like flipped fight scenes and stuff. And they had Cameron Diaz is literally the first one in the movie that does one of those where she travels to the air, basically like a Liu Kang kick through the air type of thing where it kind of arcs. And that's what they made fun of in scary movie too. When Chris Elliott like absolutely wipes wipes their floor. (laughs) That's one of my favorite scenes in scary movie too. When he's like, wait, when he's like waiting for him to, that's so funny. (laughs) <laughs> She's like, ah. <laughs> but this is the really interesting part about Cameron Diaz because like Cameron Diaz was hired for a very specific job in this in this role and that was to be eye candy there's a lot of male gay stuff going on in this movie for just her and to say like corny lines and participate in some corny fight scenes right like that's that's the start and end of Cameron Diaz and Charlie's Angels but what was interesting was one all of the casting decisions that went into this right like drew barrymore she was going to be in there from the start mm-hmm. cameron diaz didn't have a ton of competition but lucy Liu's character there's like a list of like 20 actresses or so that were considered really yeah it's huge all right i'm going to tell you how much money lucy Liu made and then you guys get to try to guess how much money cameron diaz made for her role remember equal screen time for the most part Lucy Liu made a million dollars for her role. How much do you think Cameron Diaz made, if I haven't told you already? I'm going 10. I know the answer for this from looking up research. And- she made 12 million. Wow. She made 12 times as much money as Lucy Liu. Drew Barrymore, I think, made 8 million or 9. She made 9. That just goes to show how big she was. Like, they had to pay her 12 million to take on this role in Charlie's Angels. Yeah. And she did it a couple times. This movie had 18 writers. 18 writers. And it went through like 30 rewrites of the script. I think they make fun of that in Full Throttle. As they should. I hope they did. Stacked cast, Bill Murray, a creepy Crispin Glover who likes to sniff women's hair. Tim Curry, Luke Wilson, Tom Green, who was dating Drew Barrymore at the time. Mm -hmm. Alex Trebek makes an appearance. Matt LeBlanc, Melissa McCarthy, small role. And Sam Rockwell as Eric Knox doing his best dancing badass impression. Yeah, so just kind of a wacky production that went into this movie. I remember two things from this movie. One was that they called Crispin Glover the creepy thin man. And I couldn't wrap my head around how thin he was. I was like, he looks like a normal skinny guy, but then you'd like see him like fit between like doorways and stuff. And couldn't, couldn't get over that. And then I remember how stunningly beautiful Cameron Diaz was. And that's, I don't remember the plot. plot? Those are only still frames in my mind. I have. 
Do you remember her dancing at the club? 100%. And that awkward <laughs> ass scene <laughs> with Soul yeah. Train? <laughs> okay, so first of all, that's offensive. We need to talk about this. That is wild. That is not how that would go. I feel like <laughs> no, not at all. It needs to be established. That is not how that would go. I like this movie, though. I think it's a good time. To me, it's fun. I was shocked at how like sexual it all was, because I saw this movie when I was young. Mm-hmm. And I was just, it was like kind of shocking to see that now, because they all seem to lean into it. But it, to me, this one was a good time. It was able to capture the balance of like being in on the joke while like trying to be kind of silly and funny like it it worked for me for the most part you were talking about how you know massive her appeal was at this time she's top build in this movie i forgot to mention with any given sunday she was second build in that movie with that crazy cast and again with this amazing cast you're talking about she's first build she's six years into her career at this point wow <laughs> good reminder holy cow (laughs) i would hope if she makes 12 million she'd be first bill yeah yeah. (laughs) solid for her and jared leto at that moment leto's like sugar mama let's go yeah for real i would have guessed at the time that drew barrymore would have been a bigger star though if you would have just asked me like who was a bigger star in 2000 i would have said drew Barrymore. yeah oh yeah that's what that's kind of yeah i don't know first project uh after charlie's angels was the entry into the Shrek world as Princess Fiona in 2001. Ever heard of her? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but her character gets even more prominent Yeah, as the movies go along. The first two, actually good. And they deserve the hype that they get. There's anime. I feel like this was like early entering the game to put like adult humor in a kid's movie that would like go over a kid's head. So like the parents that are in the theater could enjoy it as well as the kids could enjoy it. Um, but still, you know, it's about fairy tales, and so it's a child's movie, but you enjoy it even watching it at an older age. The third one is terrible. Yeah. It is so un- – it's almost unwatchable. Um, but the first two are um, – and I think they made a fourth one. Fourth one is almost unwatchable. <laughs> All right, fair. <laughs> the first two, they were in their sweet spot. Like, I, the jokes still play – it's all just playing, like, jokes and puns off of yeah. classic fairy tales and, like, Disney stories. Yeah, the little gingerbread guy. It's hilarious. Best character. Yeah. The gingerbread is the best character. Love him. That interaction is still funny when he's getting interrogated and tortured by John Lithgow. And he's trying to explain where the woman lives. And he's like, she's married to the Muffin Man. And he's like, the Muffin Man? He's like, the Muffin Man! The Muffin Man! <laughs> yeah, I forget. Good good call. I forget Lithgow is a is a pretty main character. It's Far, Lord Farquhart. Yeah. Yeah, movies. Spits in his face. The movies alone, world grows to just under $3 billion. <laughs> We were way off. Three quarters of a billion dollars for average. Yeah. It's impressive. My takeaway from this in terms of her was like how I felt like the animated like the animated version of this and her voice acting kind of stripped her of what is so entertaining about her. Her voice work is fine, but it's not like dynamic. No. She's kind of just doing a part and ultimately she's kind of forgettable. And to me her character is kind of that too because like Cameron Diaz is entertaining and engaging and captivating as a performer. It's not really mm-hmm. her voice. And so, like, watching this again, I just, I never thought about her character before. I never really thought that it was Cameron Diaz. I didn't think about it. And then leaving these four movies, I had the same feeling. I was like, that could have literally been anybody. 
Well, it's, it's two episodes in a row where our performers in one of the bigger animated projects of all time, and I never really associate them with it, yeah. with Broderick as Simba. Like, because he didn't sing the songs. That's a good point. Two franchises that ballooned their box office metrics. Think about Justin Timberlake and Forever After, but not for good reasons. Because <laughs> it's awful. I'm I sat down to watch all. Impressed and depressed for you. Well, I, my son watches movies with us. So, like, he'll, he's two, but he'll sit and watch a whole movie. Perfect. And so, like, these were, like, really the only ones I could put on when he was awake. (laughs) How did your son feel about being John Malkovich? (laughs) (laughs) What about any given Sunday? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Speaking of existential dread, Vanilla Sky, the last movie I watched of Cameron Diaz's that I had never seen before, and I definitely thought was a, like, romance movie and not a movie about cryogenics and... Lots of things that I had no idea that was going to happen between Tom Cruise, Penelope, Penelope Cruz, and Cameron Diaz. She's basically the Ben Stiller in There's Something About Mary in this movie. Like, what are you, a stalker? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, a, she's actually a stalker. Just, it's not funny. She's a clingy stalker, and it's not funny. Yeah, it's very scary. Like you, Kyle, I had not seen this movie. All I knew of it was the Kanye lyric about... <laughs> He looked like Tom Cruise in Vanilla Sky. So I knew there was a car accident at some point coming. And I was pleasantly surprised by Diaz's portrayal of like a psychopath. Yeah. Like just like a crazy stalker kind of chick. I thought I thought she did great in that role. I do too. I thought I, she was really good. She got Golden Globes, SAG, and Critic Choice noms for this too. So this other her other big awards movie. Yeah, I will say the movie's not very good. It tries a little too hard on the existential sort of themes where you're like you could watch it a hundred times and still not really know the point behind it but yeah I, I thought her performance for what they wanted just like a an obsessed uh, ex-girlfriend who tries to kill Tom Cruise was good is this movie worth a watch because I didn't have time to get to it but I want to see it I think it is it's it's weird it's very weird but it I wouldn't say it's bad I would use this word that Warren hates it's ambitious yeah it, it's very it ambitious <laughs> it tries way too hard it's not bad. I won't go as far as saying it's good, but it's definitely not bad. Like a four or five. Yeah. A year later, uncredited role as a bus passenger in Minority Report and also appeared alongside Christina Applegate in The Sweetest Thing, a movie we talked about in the Applegate episode. Mm-hmm. Um, fun. Very enjoyable. Lighthearted. Very raunchy. But she plays like a, a serial... I don't know what the word is. She's just like a stiff arm. She stiff arms all the guys. She's not a very vulnerable person. Doesn't want her heart broken, so... She basically just tells guys off all the time. Oh, I just think it's fun. She goes a long way in making this movie work just simp- off of charisma alone. Because the movie's weird. Like, there's musical numbers <laughs> in it. She's dancing for reasons that don't make any sense. Right. Like, there's just a bunch of stuff that doesn't make any sense. The third girl is what, Selma Blair? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. The Selma Blair scene at the dry cleaner is my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> That's what I was going to reference. It's, and it's the most absurd. It's yeah. like, she's trying to get come out of her dress if i know what it is i can bet i can clean it better (laughs) and she doesn't want to say she's like i don't know (laughs) and And i spilled a drink on it her pastor walks in like a whole girl scout troop walks in (laughs) like it's everyone she knows from her town gangs of new york o2 got a golden globe nom for her role as jenny taking a dive into the scorsese world i'm not the biggest fan of this movie same and i love scorsese he's like uh, one of my favorite directors but I don't know. This movie always just kind of lost me. Like, just never was a fan of it. And her role, I think, is 
kind of forgettable, to be honest with you, in this. Yeah. For being with that cast, Daniel Day-Lewis, the fact that Daniel Day-Lewis, Leo, and Liam Neeson, those three together, like, it's it's no wonder that her role's kind of forgotten about, I feel like. Her, her character is there to, to drive the plot, which yeah. is, like, mm-hmm. just further, yes. it's going to be you versus me, no matter what, we're, we're, you know, involved with the same woman, you know, killed my dad. It, it just drives further their yeah. hate for one another. I love this movie. I'm a big fan. I like it better than they do. I mean, I don't have much defenses in terms of like, I'm not going to try to convert anybody, but the thing I like about the movie has nothing to do with Cameron Diaz because I don't think she ever really stood a chance. One of my friends loved this movie and he told me, he was like, when you watch this movie, you're not going to walk away thinking about her. There's just no way that you could. No. Mm-hmm. But the thing I really like that this movie does is Scorsese just drops in these little history, like these little history parallels to what's going on. So all the stuff that's happening with the draft and conscription in the war, I, th- I found to be really fascinating and how that, how that's just kind of happening in the background yeah, and how he kind of sprinkles it in throughout. I, I thought that part of it in particular was brilliant. And Daniel Day Lewis is a God. So he's, he's unbelievable. Stuff all day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the acting for, actually from all of them. I like the acting from all of them. And I just, I don't know. It just never had that final emotional punch for me. I don't know why. Same here. And I thought, and I thought all of that. I see it. It drags in the second act too. Yeah, that could be it. I get it for sure. Reprises her role in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle in 03, meets JT, Justin Timberlake, at the Kids' Choice Awards, which leads to an eventual relationship between the two. You know, her dating history is very high profile. A lot of big names. Um, Shrek 2 in 04. So this is the season of reprisals. And then in 05, she plays a role as Maggie in Inner Shoes. Um, alongside Tony Collette, which is a really interesting film, and again, a, a a rare dramatic role from Cameron Diaz as the sister who just can't quite get it together. She's like a party girl in this, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tony Collette's like the serious one who's like trying to like get her to vote. Yeah. Yeah, she's against her better interests, like continuing yeah. to try to help her sister, and then at one point catches Cameron Diaz sleeping with her like boyfriend at the time in the house, and yeah. it's just. So it's just like back and forth between the two. And it if you're interested in their careers, I think it's a good one to watch, especially Tony Collette, because she's just she's just such a quality actress. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. Really good. So it's on stars. You can check it out. As Ellie said at the time of recording, it's on stars. And then we have the largest audience gap, which is 2006's The Holiday. And James has it. So I'll preface this with saying when I was assigned the holiday for this podcast, I was already firmly on the audience side. I was like, oh, sweet, great. I didn't realize how poorly this did with the critics. So uh, 49% critic approval, 80% audience approval. And I, I was actually shocked when I saw how large of a gap that is. The synopsis of this is two, the cast is great. So two women who are played by Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet, they both kind of find themselves at the end of like failed relationships right before Christmas. This movie's 100% a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Diaz decides to take like a two-week vacation, start surfing the web, meets Winslet online. It's kind of awkward because it's early internet stuff. So it's like they're in a chat room for single women who aren't looking for women or something like that. And and then they agree in explaining their failed love lives to switch homes like Airbnb style for a few weeks. And so Diaz goes to live in England where Winslet lives on the countryside and Winslet comes to live in Diaz's like LA swanky, super rich. uh, I think she's like a movie producer's house. Both of them kind of end up meeting love uh winslet's brother is played by jude law who tries to drop by his sister's house and 
falls for Cameron Diaz. And the plot is a little predictable because then Winslet's on the other side of the world and meets a young composer uh, by the name of Jack Black. And she falls for him. And while this movie's like, no, not Oscar worthy, I found it heartwarming, light. It's fun. I think all the actors involved are funny. I think Cameron Diaz's sweet spot is being funny. I don't know if it's necessarily in a romantic comedy, but she does hold her own here. And I just think that is a natural skill that she has. But the, it's like the kind of film that just kind of brings you up. You know, feel, when you're feeling down, it's light, story's light. You don't have to be overly involved. And one of the things that was like the biggest positive shock for me was when I found out that it was uh, the original score is composed by Hans Zimmer, who's like one of the, one of the goats. <laughs> and so it was like just this feel good score throughout the whole thing. I just enjoyable movie for me. I very much roll on the side of the audience here. I did. I thought the, the concept was kind of in, interesting and unique. It's not really my style of movie. Mm-hmm. It's not really my kind of, my kind of story. I would go out of my way to watch, but I could see why p- people who really like this genre would really enjoy this movie. Cause there's, good actors. I think they put in good performances. And I think by the time the movie ends, the lessons that you learn are, are, are reasonable. Yeah. I think they're good lessons of like, Hey, we're going to enjoy our time while we're together, but it's probably not practical for us. To, I'm not going to l- stay living in London forever. Right. I'll, I'll spend new year's with you. That deal. And I thought that was, that was nice. Like it's a perfect watch. You can put it on anytime, even though it is very much a Christmas movie. Like I watched it like the last night or two nights ago. It's just, it's a perfect movie to watch anytime. It's it feels good. It's pretty simple. Kate Kate Winslet's the best. It's a movie basically just a star power. Mm-hmm. Like go be charismatic and interesting, and the four main people can do that really easily. Shrek the Third, oh seven. What happens in Vegas in oh eight? Played Joy alongside Ashton Kutcher, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't that bad. I think people were ready to dunk on this movie when it came out, and so it got terrible reviews. But I watched it. it was, it's not great, but it's not bad. I like her character in this. It's it's what happens in Vegas, but the movie takes place mainly in New York, which is kind of bizarre. But yeah. it's about it's about her. Yeah, it's about her and Ashton Kutcher. They have a, like a one night stand and end up getting married in Vegas. Next year, my sister's keeper played Sarah, and then was acting alongside our boy James Marsden in 2009's The Box, a movie we did a full review on way back, and I think like episode nine, I think is what Marsden's episode was. This was the one where. It was based off a Twilight Zone. Twilight episode. Zone episode. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. It worked better as a half-hour episode as compared to an hour and a half long yeah. movie. It was like a great Twilight Zone episode. Oh yeah, it's a. I mean, it's an okay movie, but she's she plays the wife of James Marsden. Frank Langella plays the guy who's operating and running the box. Is she the one who pushes? Uh, says they should push it, or is it Marsden? I don't remember. It's her. I'm pretty it's sure her. it's her. Yeah, yeah, she's aggressive on that. He doesn't really want to, if I remember correctly. Same year, did three episodes of Sesame Street. Seems like kind of a big deal. I mean, she's doing all the Shrek movies, so it would, it would make sense to go to yeah. Sesame Street, right? You're in front of kids, might as well go over to one of the more successful shows of all time. Then Shrek Forever After in 2010. And then in 2010 is when Forbes ranked her as the richest female celebrity, which is yeah. kind of gives you the, the span after four Shrek movies, how much money she had. I think she reached that 20 mil plateau. I don't know if we covered it. We might have just skipped over it, but it was the second Charlie's Angels movie. Oh, in Full Throttle? Yeah, in 2003? Yeah, yep. Full Throttle. They, they, so she probably... I, I didn't look into you know the negotiation tactics that got there, but it could have been one of those things where it was like, well, you paid me 12 million last movie, and I didn't want to be in that one. Uh, so I don't want to be in this one. 
make me the second actress ever to be paid 20 and she got it double or nothing yeah and i'm in the script of that movie and said give me 20 million i've ever seen damn and i like the first charlie's angels that full throttle movie is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh. High praise from Aubrey here. That stinks. Well, I mean, there you go. It's yeah, if the money's right, I'll I don't even need to read the script. I'll be there. <laughs> well, and key word here too is celebrity. I didn't say actress, I said celebrity. So it's it's a wide swath of entertainment, right? It's just it's outside of just people who are on screen. So we're talking athletes, mm-hmm. all all sorts of things. So that's a She's on, as of 2010, she's about as uh, wow. financially comfortable as one can get. Good for her. Yep. No kidding, right? I believe this is right around the time that she gave, in my opinion, her best performance, and that was feeding Alex Rodriguez popcorn at the, <laughs> uh, Dow- at the Dallas Cowboys game. No, I mean, it is a thing. Uh, when I found out that she was married to Benji from Good Charlotte, and then I found out they were married in like 2015, I was like, oh my God, did she like cheat on him with A-Rod? Because... I remember her dating A-Rod and I didn't realize it was like a good six years prior to even like meeting him. But because of how long her and A-Rod have been in my life, I knew that of that corny ass fucking part where they were caught at the Super Bowl. So I was wrong. This was, this was 2011. So this was, I'm a little early on that. Yeah. Her entire dating life has been like her character. And there's something about Mary. Yeah. (laughs) It's just all these dudes vying for her adoration. 2010. She's a night and day. This character named June. This was the movie that I, that I referenced earlier. Anybody I've ever watched this with was like, I don't, I don't want to watch that. And then I'll make them watch it. And by the end, they're like, that's, that's a pretty entertaining movie. Nine days fun. It's fun. Pretty funny. It's pretty funny. So much. I love the scene where they're being held captive and Tom Cruise is like swinging from the ceiling. And he's like, we're going to get out of this. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> he's hilarious in this movie. Yeah. Hilarious. He is, he is. so funny. He's basically making fun of himself. Which is a funny thing, like to see him just make fun of this archetype character that he plays all the time. He's just making fun of it. The Mission Impossible movies, yep. And she's kind of making fun of that character, also. It's a great movie. I, I enjoy it every time I watch it. Yeah, I loved it. And then, I mean, talk about cast. You got Gal Gadot, Viola Davis, Peter Sarsgaard, the Green Hornet, 2011, entered into the superhero realm. Was the Green Hornet received well? No. Seth Rogen, right? I think it wasn't received well because of Seth Rogen. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie was it was doomed from the beginning. Any superhero movie that doesn't come out in the summertime or Christmas is usually going to suck. If it comes out in like... That's a good point. If it comes out in the spring or like the like February, then it usually blows. Well, Case, I know why you like it. Her last name in the movie. It's Case. Is it really? It's Lenore Case. There you go. So I thought she was pretty damn good in Bad Teacher. I think she did that role very well. I don't know if the movie's great, but yeah, I think she she plays an asshole teacher pretty well. Completely agree. I thought her performance in this is hilarious. It's a funny movie. It's super vulgar and super just like ridiculous, but I loved her in this. Mm-hmm. Another one where the morals are a bit weird. Yeah. Yes. People that we hate are just like legit, legitimately, they seem like good people that are doing the right thing. <laughs> and we want bad things to happen to them. Mm-hmm. So this terrible person can keep being terrible. Yeah, to give us your perspective as a teacher, Aubrey, like what what are your official review of Bad Teacher? I try not to do this because it's there's a lot of movies that take place in school, so I try not to be the guy that's like that doesn't happen. <laughs> that's not how that works. However, there are things in this movie that are wildly inaccurate, but the teacher putting movies on all the time is a thing that happens quite a bit. <laughs> she has them watching some decent films for real. So that part I respect. The kid also having the kid that will give you like baked goods 
is a thing <laughs> yeah. that I personally appreciate. <laughs> but this is another movie that shouldn't work, but does. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Yep. But I'd watch it again. Yeah. Just because she's good in it. Bad teacher. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Was Cameron Diaz still dating Justin Timberlake when this was going on? No, no, they had broken up mm. before, the, well before that. Drama, which is funny because they they are good. They're good together in the movie, so that yeah. was pretty mm-hmm. well done on their part. Yeah, I think it'd been a couple of years. So another movie that I liked personally was What to Expect When You're Expecting. She played Jules, a movie with Chris Rock. Chris Rock's little like posse of of dads is fucking hilarious in that movie, and. I felt like the portrayal, especially from Elizabeth Banks's character, of like how terrible motherhood is on the back end, was extremely realistic and refreshing. So I, I found what to expect when you're expecting a, a really fun watch. The, this is another one like Bad Teacher, like Sweetest Thing. It's I didn't think it was going to be good. It probably really shouldn't be that good. And I had a good time with it and would watch it again anytime. Mm-hmm. The Chris Rock stuff is obviously great. <laughs> it felt like they were just like, hey, Chris Rock is here. Hey, do a thing. Yep. You're a dad. Do a thing. And he killed it. <laughs> Him, Thomas Lennon, that whole crew was fucking entertaining. Yeah. Right. Like it took all these archetypes around pregnancy. So it took the one with uh, Anna Kendrick and this guy that she had barely met, like she knew from high school. They hooked up, got pregnant, had a miscarriage. I was like, this hap- miscarriages happen wildly often. Right. And so, like, I thought that was really compelling. Mm hmm. That was a really. I was like, for two people that aren't married, they have a miscarriage, and then what do you do now? Like, what's do we date? Like, we didn't really go on dates before, and I felt that was like those the type of stories I think need to be told because it's real life. Yeah. And then she became an author in 2013. She one she became the highest paid actress over the age of 40, and then she wrote her first book, The Body Book, and which was a the number two bestseller on the New York Times list. Just. Pretty cool. Case I know loves himself a good actor off. Yeah, I think that's really, really cool. Then our last review is lowest critic score, and that is 2014 Sex Tape. And Case has it. Well, spoiler, I'm really glad that she didn't retire on this movie. So she's got another movie coming up before she retires. But Sex Tape is a 2014 comedy starring Cameron Diaz and Jason Segel and is directed by Jake Kasdan. The trio are following up their project with a bad teacher together, as we discussed from 2011. Sex Tape was generally received pretty poorly from critics and fans. Most reviewers, both critic and fan, cited either poor performances, poor writing, or a boring, tired plot. You know, after watching it, I think, I'd say the performances were fine by both the stars and the very funny supporting cast. And the supporting cast members include Rob Corddry, Ellie Kemper, and Rob Lowe. I just don't think the writing was great in this movie. Here's the gist of the movie. Diaz and Siegel are married. They end up having a family. Sex life goes down. And in order to spice up their sex life, they decide that they're going to try to make a home sex tape, as the title of the movie we described. <laughs> Problem is, Siegel records their session, if you will, on his MacBook, which then puts it onto his Apple Cloud, which then delivers it to every single iPad that he has attached to his account. Not a huge deal until they realize that he's been giving away iPads to people over the years, and several people have now what would be their sex tape, including her mother, her boss, and their neighbor, Rob Cordry. He's thinking, okay, it's okay, and then all of a sudden they get a threatening text basically going, look, I got your sex tape. 
So then they start going around and they try to find, you know, who's got it. And then ultimately, spoiler alert, fast forward, if you're worried about the plot of this movie, it turns out Rob Corddry's son had the iPad and then threatened them to release it unless he gives them a massive amount of money, which that I won't spoil. You know, and then the rest of the movie just kind of goes on through that. I actually watched this when it first came out. When I read the synopsis and everything early, you know, it seemed like what would have been a really funny comedy. However, I, I think the movie was written for mass appeal. You know, we've talked a lot about the difference between PG and R-rated movies. PG movies make so much more money. This isn't PG, but I think they wanted this to have a little wider appeal. And I think had the movie been made several years earlier, before a lot of raunchier comedies had been made, and the, this concept of sex tapes and accidentally leaking videos and, and photos and stuff, you know, it's kind of a played out theme in real life anyways. I mean, either way, the movie's fine. What's the critic score? The critic score on this is 16%. Audience is 33. Wow. I, don't, I remember when this came out. I don't remember it being that panned, but interesting. Yeah. I kind of put it in that same group of movies I was talking about earlier with Bad Teacher and The Sweetest Thing and The Other Woman. These are movies that probably shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And they were good. They were fine. I wouldn't. I enjoyed watching it. It's it's good in the same ways. Like I found her to be really compelling in this movie. She was dealing with a lot of like really interesting things. This movie could have been really good and smart mm-hmm. if they had people that wanted it to go that way. Because mm-hmm. she was dealing with some complex things. It's it's fine. It's a good time. We talk about the other woman. Did this come out before or after that? After. After. No, we didn't talk about the other one. I actually know a friend of mine who this uh, not exact thing, but this happened to them where they're cell phone was linked to their iPad and their computer and on a bachelor party it led to the end of their relationship. James, I asked you to keep <laughs> that fucking secret. This is not time. Obviously I won't name, him, but when your buddy comes in and explains that to you and everyone just like collectively is like, "Well, yeah, man, I guess you, you know, you make your bed, you got to sleep <laughs> at this point, bro. Like, good luck when you get home, dude. That's going to be tough, man." Okay, to round it out. Last couple of years here, she hosted SNL in 2014. And her final movie up until this point, maybe maybe she'll return at some point when she gets restless or the kids get a little bit older, was in Annie in 2014. She played Miss Hannigan, a, a role that I read that she found to be pretty challenging for. Her. I mean, she's like, yeah, I've done it. I'm good. And then she officially retired in 2014. She basically said, you know, like she had always put off her personal life up to this point. She wanted to have kids, like got married, wanted to do the kids thing, kind of had lost control of a lot of those things. And so it was one of those, she didn't outright say it. Like I've made a lot of money. I don't need to make more money, but I just want to do my own thing. Raise a family. I want to do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understandable. Married Benji Madden through a connection with Nicole Richie because Benji's got a twin brother and still married. I think they have at least one kid. I don't know. Yeah. they They have one. I think they have a daughter. And they had their, their child Radix through a surrogate, too. So she had to bring in some outside help as well. If you look at all the main actors from the Shrek series, they all took a hiatus after that. Like, yeah. I don't know if Mike Myers has been in anything other than like a cameo here or there, like in Inglorious Bastards. But like Eddie Murphy didn't come back until recently. So that was like a good 10 year, like kind of pause because you're making that much money. It's like. I could just hang out with, you know, my husband or hang out with my kids. Like, who cares, you know? Yep. Just do family stuff, man. Yeah. And I guess during that time, you know, 2016, she wrote her second book, The Longevity Book. And then she, like, did things like investing in health and biotech startups. So just, you know, just got interested in some other stuff. 
right outside of Act. Now she's got the time to do it. Really savvy business. Yeah, like she showed that early with the career decision she made. She clearly understood her level of fame and how that worked. And you know, she just seems like a really savvy business. She acted from what ninety four to twenty fourteen, so twenty years. She had a twenty year run on screen and made more money than any actress had uh, in her forties. So I'd say she did pretty well yeah. for someone calling it quits. But I think it says something that she hasn't acted in mm-hmm. this long, and people she's still like a v- really big household name. Mm-hmm. You know, if you saw her on the street, you would know that's Cameron Diaz. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's so let's move to top performances. Rigby, what do you got for us? All right, I got a list from Variety. It was released in 2021. Top 10 performances of Cameron Diaz's career. Who wants to start us off? Number one, give me being John Valcom- Malkovich. Uh, that's number three. Son of a bitch. My best friend's wedding. That is number eight. Okay. Any given Sunday. That is not on here. Oh, whoa. There's something about Mary. That's numero uno. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, me too. What about uh, Gangs of New York, I guess? No, surprisingly, that's not on here. I'm not surprised by that. All those award noms and didn't get it. Shrek has to be on there. Number two. Yep. Shrek is uh, number nine. Oh. The Holiday. The Holiday is not on here. Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky is number two, which I appreciate because I think she's really good in that movie. Yeah. I don't disagree. Smaller role, but very impactful. Very impactful. Give me Bad Teacher. Nope. Oh, balls. The Sweetest Thing. Sweetest Thing is number six. Good call. In Her Shoes. Number 10. There you go. What about the other woman? Nope. We need seven, five, and four. Night and day. Nope. Damn. Mm. We suck again. She's the one? Nope. Oh, dude. Did we talk about that? I like that movie a lot. Charlie's Angels. No. Charlie's Angels, yep. Did we talk about She's the One? I like that movie. No, we didn't. So Charlie's Angels number four. We need seven and five. Things you can tell by looking at her. Nope. Annie? Nope. I got nothing, man. Uh, oh, The Mask? The Mask is number five. Feeling Minnesota? Nope. Number seven, I don't think we t- we mentioned it. Just tell us the last two. It's The Counselor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a more recent one. Oh. I put it on for a second, and then I took it off because it, I've read that it was a pretty good dramatic role on her part. I think that's a Ridley Scott movie with Michael Fassbender. Great cast. Yeah. yeah. But I remember it being panned at the box office, like in the 20s. Yep. That surprises me that, that that's on this list, because that's a 34 23 fan and critic ranking. Mm-hmm. What are the top three? Remind us again. Remind the audience. Number one, there's something about Mary. Number two, Vanilla Sky. Number three, John Malkovich. So interesting. A Fairly Brothers movie and then two, like, unlike a lot of the romantic comedy films that she did. Mm-hmm. Which I, it makes sense to me. It's impressive to me that she didn't become the, the rom-com go-to. I agree. That's mm-hmm. impressive. All right, let's get into the Munson meter then. Let's round this thing out. The way this works, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, their comedic chops, box office success, or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. So we will start with Rigby this time. So Cameron Diaz, like I said, household name, shot to superstardom stardom with There's Something About Mary, and I think it's kind of stayed there ever since, even though she retired seven years ago and gave up acting to, uh, to do her own business thing and, and obviously be with her family. The fact that she was at one time the highest paid actress and female celebrity, I think says something about her. She basically conquered the game uh, in a way that maybe aside from winning like an Oscar, she's basically done it all. And, you know, her, I think her resume speaks for itself in the sense that she's been in, she's worked with 
powerful directors like Scorsese, Cameron Crowe, but also notable directors like the Fairley Brothers, and I know I'm forgetting some, but yeah, she's she's she is what you think of when you think of a, a movie star, and she still is, even though she's been out of the game for a while. So, and she, like I said, she is the main character in the funny one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. She's gonna get a high score for me. She's gonna get an 83. Reviewing her is tough. I almost wish I was on the back end of this because I've reserved the right to change my score after I hear everybody else's comments and thoughts. <laughs> Boom. So I'm going to give her credit. She was not, she's was she been nominated for a bunch of roles, but she's never won any of them. So I, that, I take that into account for the award side. Knowing a lot of her roles just aren't like awards-worthy ones, but the one she did take on that would appeal to the Academy or to SAG or to the Globes, she did get nominated for. So I give her credit there. Her role in Shrek catapulting her career, and I just look at the like the numbers, the box office side for me from Craig is so interesting on this one because that that stat about only two of her thirty four movies lost money that blew me away. Yeah, because I think it, yeah, I mean we could compare that number, and yes, her overall she's like thirty whatever of fifty four, thirty two of fifty four, so she's in the latter half. But when I look at just a box office vehicle, and yeah, movies aren't all about what makes money, but it's part of how we evaluate our performers. So mm-hmm. I'll put that out there. And just the fact of like, yeah, she's done some really cool, interesting things. So I mentioned the startup tech stuff she did, but she's also involved in Iran and Afghanistan veterans organizations. So I respect that about her and she's using her time pretty wisely. I respect that she's a lead in pretty much almost everything she's been in and the amount of what she accomplished in only 20 years. I mean, we've been covering actors have been doing this stuff for 40 years and still don't have that same level of prestige when it comes to name recognition. They might have awards and some other types of things, but not competing with her there. But it's just it's so hard to judge her because she retired early. And so, you know, there, there could have been so many more cool things the last seven years. And how do you rate that for a longevity standpoint? You know, it's this is uncharted waters. So... I'm not going to go as high as Rigby, but I'm going to give her a 70. I feel like that's a good number, a good plateau to say. Like she She's done a lot for her age and where she's at, but she did call it a little bit quits, and I almost got to want to take a few points away from what I would give her otherwise for longevity. Aubrey, our guest months in Europe. I found this conversation to be really interesting because I found her to be really interesting and kind of hard to rate also. I wasn't super familiar with her because we talked about this a little bit earlier. I kind of made my my assumptions based off what I saw in the mask and just kind of left and just kind of kept it there. So I didn't see a lot of her work. So watching this, I was like struck by one, how big of a star she actually is. Like that charisma is there. You can tell that she is a star Mm -hmm. and all of the things that were said about her make complete sense to me. She's how much money she made, how, you know, she was one of the first women to do that. That all makes sense to me in terms of her career. We don't, I don't, it's hard to like quantify how good or bad she is because she's a movie star. And when we talk about movie stars, we don't, typically we don't care about how good of an actor they are. Yeah. If you watch a movie with The Rock or Chris Pratt in it, you don't walk away and go, man, he really killed that scene. He really got into character. That's not how we do that. Were they entertaining? Are they captivating? And she's all that. But I kind of summarize her whole thing and she feels like a throwback to old Hollywood to me. She can do a lot of different things, a lot of different comedic things. She's in all these comedies. She's playing different versions of that, of different versions of characters. She's the funny person. She's a straight person. She's driving the plot. She's doing all kinds of things. She can sing. 
Like, she's a talented singer. She can dance. Like, she feels to me like a traditional old movie star. And I just love that about her. So I walk away from this, not being a fan before, as a fan. So it's kind of sad that she doesn't act anymore. So I say all that to say that I'd give her a 75. All right. Case, you guys have nailed quite a bit. So I'm just going to go through some quick bullet points. You know, she became a leading lady early and very effectively and then rode that wave all the way into retirement, which is very difficult to do, especially in a finicky Hollywood world. Massive box office draw while also being a highly paid actress. She was one of the highest paid actresses in an era when actresses were criminally underpaid. Mm-hmm. And that's very impressive. Amazing resume of elite performers she's performed with. And most of them, it's been at least two movies. And then the other part maintained a high level of name recognition despite being retired for almost a decade. So with all of that, and on top of what has already been mentioned, I'm going to give her an 81. James, round us out. When you think of Cameron Diaz, she is a full-blown movie star. She dominated pop culture for two full decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what makes her unique to me is that she is a supremely talented comedic actress who just happens to also be stunningly attractive. And that is not something that we are used to. Like Breathtakingly attractive people aren't supposed to be naturally funny also. And so when you see that, you're like, oh, she's only going to do rom-coms. And that's not the case. She does yeah. raunchier comedy. She does dramas as well. And it is, it's, she just never kind of fit in the box that we wanted her to be in. And so that is why she was so captivating and kind of uh, was one of the premier actresses for the last two decades before she called it quits. One of the best box office draws there is that we've covered anyway. And I respect that she called it quits when she made enough money. I would have done the same myself if I could. I'm going to give her an 81. All right. That puts Cameron Diaz in 18th place, sandwiched between Stanley Tucci and Chris Rock. Feels fair. I like that Chris Rock, I like that she's close to there because I, I, I just feel like they're both, they're both stars in their, own, in their own way that they're comparable to each other. Aubrey, did you plan this? Aubrey also did Chris Rock. (laughs) Yeah, you are. That's what it is. I guess I didn't mention the exact number. She got a 78 on the dot, whereas Chris Rock is a 77.4. So it's a very slight lead there. And Tucci's at a 78.17. The ever so slight margin there. All right. So what does she have coming, James? Tell us a little bit about the the coming soon portion. Nothing. Probably lunch plans with family and friends. She's (laughs) just living the good life, bro. Like... (laughs) Hanging out with her daughter. Investing in a few more startups, yeah. right? Some of her husband's shows, probably. You say this now, she's going to show up in a Marvel project. She'll be whatever in Fantastic Four. At some Maybe point. like 20 years from now when like her kids are like in like out of college and she's like, all right, I'll do something again. And it's just like the 80th installment of Iron Man or something. All right, next episode lands on February 10th. Our featured guest is Laura Beneke. She'll be making her return. She's been here a few times with us, and she's picking one of these five actors. Those five actors are Paul Giamatti, Jennifer Lopez, Chris Christopherson, Timothy Chalamet, or Glenn Powell. What do we like? What do we dislike? And what do we think Laura would choose? Chalamet would be awesome because obviously every movie he's in is like pretty high profile. His career is just not very long so that would be an interesting episode it's pretty young he's just getting started and we know he's going to be a star for a long time so i'm cool with any of those with the exception of glenn powell i do not know who that is (laughs) (laughs) 
I'd cover the other ones, but Glenn Powell would be like, I don't even oh, – cool. Start from day one. have no idea how I feel about this person. Kyle loves Glenn Powell from what I – My birthday I, boy. Yeah. Shares my birthday. That's right. Glenn, he's fun. He's, again, young actor like Timothy Chalamet. Well, he's not as young as Timothy, but shorter career up to this point. But he's been in some decent flicks. As a fan, I want to hear the Paul Giamatti episode. Yeah, Giamatti would be interesting. I want that one. I think Giamatti's amazing. I think his. I think Giamatti in like the late '90s, early 2000s was like awesome. Private parts. Yeah. And then he kind of, and then he kind of shifted towards like the TV thing where he's been ever since, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Chris Christopherson is also a musician, correct? Yes. Oh yeah. That factors into his Montsometer score for sure. He's in a star the the before the Lady Gaga Bradley Cooper. He was in a Star Is Born, the '76 version with Barbra right. Streisand. He was in Blade. He was in a bunch of other movies like that. And his drawl and voice is so iconic that I feel like range would be hard for him. Like you can't hide that voice into like a comedic role. I yeah. feel like it would be really difficult to do. It's kind of like Sam Elliott. It's like yeah, you know, yep. you know what Sam Elliott's gonna gonna be in the movie when you when you see it. Uh, Chris Kuskofsen, we get to talk about the origin of one of the most famous songs of all time. And I will save it in case we do him. Oh, okay. Well, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> save it, baby. Save it. We do have two slashies on this. We have two double threats. Chris Christopherson and J-Lo. Yeah, I was about to say, if we're talking musicians, J-Lo is a big one. I mean, she did the Super Bowl last year, right? Mm-hmm. Two years ago or whatever it was. Any reason for us to watch Geely? I'm fully approving. <laughs> the first 10 minutes of Hustlers, me and my wife like looked at each other and was like, is that the sexiest person we've ever seen in our entire lives? And it's like 55-year-old J-Lo who's aging in reverse. Dropping that ass. Talk about a movie where the morals are all fucked up. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's great, Matt. Give me a reason to listen to some old school J-Lo from the 90s, the TRL days, waiting for tonight. <laughs> oh. And another time when we can talk about A-Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Any time to shit on A-Rod is a good time okay. for me, that's for sure. All right, so here's the questions. Uh, Aubrey, who would you pick? It sounds like Giamatti would be your choice. Yeah. Okay, that's an easy one. And then who do we think Laura would pick? Because that's really the question. Who 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 are her previous ones? She did Bonnie Hunt the last time she was here, yes. and she did... It was two Chicago actors. Oh, she did Gary Cole. I'm going to go J-Lo for her. No, J-Lo's from... <laughs> She's still J Lo from, from the, the block. I know bro. she's from the block, but I'm gonna go J Lo for a little. <laughs> no, no, it's got to be a Chicago. Where's Giamatti from? If he's from Chicago, that's it. Lock it, lock it in, <laughs> lock it in. Dude, yeah. do a quick Google search on where these actors <laughs> yeah. are from. I don't know where Giamatti's from. Either do I. We'll see. If she doesn't decide. We don't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Aubrey, it's been a pleasure, man. Any plugs? Any wise words for our audience? It's kind of your time to shine, hot one style. This camera, this camera, this camera. <laughs> so one thank you guys for having me again and i don't have a ton to plug because i've been kind of relaxing i will i'm going to start writing soon probably in these next coming weeks to get back into some reviews but please go to movie babble and check out some of the stuff going on there there's some really good writers over there and a lot of top 10 lists have just gone up they're going to do they do really good sundance coverage because i was a part of that last year so they're doing good stuff with that they do award stuff over there so like there's a lot of good stuff over there spencer henderson's top 10 list was one of the ones i i read that through that a couple times he had a really good list one of my favorites to look at of anybody from this past year so i'll plug that and i want to give you guys your flowers i love this podcast you guys do a great job this is always great 
And, you know, I think people should be giving flowers to people in the right time. So you guys deserve it. This is great. I am honored to be a guest on here multiple times. It's awesome having you, man. Yep. You're the man. That is going to... That's going to keep me going for a while. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be bringing you back. That's that's an obvious one. So I'll, I'll shoot you a note. We'll coordinate. We'll figure it out. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Well, as we wrap up, um, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on the Instagram, the IG, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Cameron Diaz? Keep saying shit like that, you're going to get punched. All right, I'm high as fuck. I got to get out of here. Watch your feet. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?